Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. The heist movie is a staple of cinema. We all know the tropes, there's the immeasurable fortune, an elaborately timed plan, a crack team of enigmatic thieves. This film is like the urtext for the modern heist film. So put on your big suit, tilt that fedora and spark bagawa. Bonvenue dans le film noir français. And this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast and we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema decade by decade, year by year. I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and with me back again is my good friend... Oliver Jones. I'm back, baby! <laughs> I'm back. Back from quarantine or whatever, whatever it was. Plasticine quarantine. Plasticine quarantine, locked up with your little fingers touching little figures. All little the time. fingers? Little fingers, your little plasticine That's fingers. what they call me in the animation world, Little Fingers Jones. <laughs> touchy, touchy. T- touchy, no, I'm not John Lasseter, don't, don't paint me with that brush. <laughs> hugs and kisses, John Lasseter, hugs and kisses. <laughs> I like to hug my plasticine models, that's what I like to do. And I, I saw recently you were interviewed by a German person, that was fun. I was, and I was also interviewed by an LA person on a podcast oh. called The Disaster Party Podcast. What's that podcast about? Come on us and talk about your disaster. No, I don't know why they call it that, but um, it was okay. all right. <laughs> Is that, I assume, Lee, that we, we've hinted at it because you've got a new music video out? I have, yeah. It's called Puke Box by, again, the Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. So, yeah, check it out. But more importantly, it's Liam's birthday today. Uh, hey! Thank you. <laughs> it is. Happy thank you. birthday to you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> and who's who's that dulcet tones joining in the song? Oh shit. I've, I don't know. Who's this mysterious man? I've been rumbled. Uh hello. My name is Paul. I've been here before. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm also back. Um I don't know why I'm treating it like it's an open room and someone's walked in. Oh, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put a sound effect of a door opening with a bit of snow. Mm. Oh, I didn't see you there. We're just recording a podcast. Come on in. Come and sit down and talk about films. Everyone's favourite topic. Films from the 50s. I love talking about films. And it's so rare that I get to talk about (laughs) films from the 50s. Especially since I'm not sure if I've seen more than one film from the 50s. (laughs) I probably have. Like, I'm sure, you know, I've been alive for a while. It probably happened. But, uh, Jud- judging from the downloads for this series, you and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's for the art, right? It's for the it art. Is, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's mainly for my mental health at this point. <laughs> There's worse reasons. <laughs> There's worse reasons to do it. The year sitting on this desk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just people calling me. <laughs> Hello. It's uh, a different topic. It's funny. Like, I, I don't think the, the people listening to this will be interested, but I, I do have a, a podcast that's like based on um, uh, marketing for indie games and uh, the field what I work in. And uh, we've we've basically like wrapped it up now. We did it for we did it for a year last year. We managed ten episodes in a year on like different topics and things, and we released the last one in December. And I kind of miss doing it already. I think uh, I think I need a new excuse to chat nonsense yeah. into a microphone. I I miss it when we take a break. It's nice because sometimes when we're full on, it can get a bit like, oh crap, I got to record this week. Oh crap, I've got a seven hour film to watch. Like, um, but like, I do miss it when we're not recording. It's it's a nice yeah. thing to actually do. 
Yeah, it's been like I haven't watched a film in well until this week. I hadn't watched any films for like five weeks, so it was nice just to actually sit sit down and actually watch a film for once. So tell us about the 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 the, the making the music video and stuff like that. Though. Oh God, it's pretty much the same process as before. <laughs> like you know, right. but I think um, I think me and Brandon have got it down now. I think I'm really pleased with the last one. I think it's I think it's pretty good. I but, thought it was awesome. I I, lo- I think it's um. There's so much. I, I'm not good at talking about claymation, but there's so much smoothness to it. Like that. Like it real feels. It feels like full of energy. Like real kinetic, which I think I imagine is hard to do really with clay. Like I've watched a lot of my contemporaries, and don't get me wrong, their work's fantastic. But sure. they kind of limit themselves to like one set and yeah, yes, and yes. kind of just similar angles. Whereas <laughs> I did the silly thing of like, there's not one shot repeated. <laughs> And there's lots of shit going on, so I don't advise making it the way I make it. But um, yeah, but I, I think but, it. I, I personally, maybe I'm biased, but I think it. It your work is a step above what I see other people doing with that play stuff. And I, I just think, I think you and Brandon as well. I want to praise Brandon as well because I think that his composite nah, fuck him. and stuff like that <laughs> I'm like, is. I think both of you make such a good team of putting this stuff together. Like, and uh, I think it's really engaging and really cool. And um, honestly, everyone check it out. Like, yeah, what was cool about this one was like, uh, you know, like on the first two, I probably had notes to give him, like on each pass of like the effects and stuff like that. But like on the third one, he'd send it me. And I'm like, right, that's done. Next one. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he's he's just on it now. Like, we're kind of like really in sync. So I'm hoping, like, maybe not not just yet, but I'm hoping we get some more work off this and we can work together. <laughs> I can on imagine stuff. not just yet. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying it. to. I'm tr- like I'm sure Mastodon have got an album coming out soon. I'm trying to uh, trying to prod that. <laughs> I have no idea how to do it, but I think me and Mastodon would be a good uh, would be combo. a good fit. God, that'd be awesome. That'd be so cool. Are you kind of prodding people at the moment, saying, "Hey, I can I can film actors as well. How about that? Have <laughs> you, <know>, you heard <laughs> of this thing called live action? I can do this." No, I, to be honest, if I'm kind of happy now, I think I've found my my niche now i think my my thing now do you know what i mean yeah yeah sure yeah so i mean i don't can... like going out anyway so i'm happy just to stay inside and manipulate little armature people so yeah no i'm not saying i won't won't do any live action ever again but uh but um i think my sensibilities come out much better in in that form i don't know sure i guess i mean directing is probably a lot about communication when you're on set and yeah. if you're just doing like animation stuff you don't you, you're talking to yourself you know pretty like, much you know, yeah, yeah yeah because yeah. you, you're in charge of all the acting as well as as well as everything else really so yeah i guess so yeah, well, yeah. Rather than there's definitely been times when jones has been filming me that i feel like he would have preferred it if i was just a lump <laughs> of clay that he could just sink his fingers into <laughs> but that's that's more about mine and Joe's personal relationship. Than... He doesn't stop him sinking his fingers in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he would have preferred if I was. Yeah, he didn't know it at the time. But you know, it's life's a journey of self-discovery. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, check the video out. But you have to watch the other two parts because it's kind of like a concluding part to a trilogy. And I think um, for me, like the first video, I was really happy with like 
how that story progressed, but I think the animation's a bit rough and that. And that's only because I had like two weeks to make that one. I think the third, the second one is, I'm happy with it, but I think it's so fast paced that it's kind of a bit hard to kind of decipher what's going on. But I think we kind of nailed down both aspects of animation and like story on this one. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, and like I, I can see all the interviews you're doing as well. It's always the same questions, like oh, that God. people who, that people who make trilogies do, which I really like. Like it's always so you conceived this from the start, and all these characters came together and stuff like that. I always like this. Uh, like all God. trilogies, there was no, it was wasn't planned as a trilogy. Obviously, no. it was just. <laughs> but but I I have to say I think we've made one of the better concluding parts to a trilogy. Yeah, it's better than take that Matrix. It's, it's <laughs> Why is a Skywalker? Oh God. Hey, I like the cowboy Back to the Future. All right, I think hey, I, <laughs> I think it too. was fun. It was fun. I was I was trying to think of a trilogy. I was trying to think of one. I was trying to think of one I could be controversial about, and that's what I landed on. No, I like I like I like Back to the Future Three. I like Back to the Future Three quite a lot. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my easy top impression. <laughs> Why don't ZZ Top appear in more films? That's a question for Hollywood. Why aren't they in every film? Do you, know, do you know what I love about ZZ Top? I thought, oh, they're going to be proper rednecky kind of right-wing kind of folks. But no, apparently they're really kind of quite lefty, aren't they? I didn't know. I've, not, yeah. I've, never, I've never gone down the ZZ Top Well, I thought, I thought they'd be very pro-Trump and all that, but no, they're completely opposite. I was like, yeah, I can imagine ZZ them Top. being old-school Republicans rather than Trumpies. Like, right. So I can imagine that about them. Like it's people, people who like I'm still Republican. But I'm not. I just don't vote for whatever the Republican Party is at the moment. Which I know a few people like that. But, so, have uh, you watched anything recently, Liam? I mean, I've watched loads of stuff. Um, which obviously, if I spoke about it, we'd be here for about four hours. So let's not do that. <laughs> but I think one film I really want to bring up because I don't think I mentioned it before. I mentioned some stuff I've watched with like Natalie and maybe with Brandon as well. But one thing I've watched really recently that's Okay, I'm going to mention two things that I've watched really recently. It's fine. Is uh, The Kid Detective uh, right. by Evan Morgan. Uh, it's, it's fucking wonderful. Like, it's one of my favourite films from 2020. It's in the top five easily. Um, it um, stars Adam Brody as the lead character, and he's like... Oh, I have heard of this. He's a guy who was a kid detective when he was in school. And he's still like living his life from the glory of being this kid detective. So, you know, like a proper kind of like, it's like someone's stolen some supplies from this teacher's office or something, or like um, someone hadn't done his homework and like really stupid, like, like kid kind of crimes. Donald Glover, you know, that film, what was it? Mystery Team. Mystery Team. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Um, And, uh, but he's grown up to be an actual detective, but he's never actually been kind of a good detective. He's really depressed. He's really down on his life and stuff like that. And basically like a, and all because there was one case from when he was a kid detective that he never solved. Basically, (laughs) That sounds Um, great. I always, I always love like when, when media kind of, when it's, when it's a case of like, let's try and apply story logic to the real world almost. Like I think, I think it's always just such a fun juxtaposition i guess is the word and um i'm such a fan of pi pi films i i love them like i and i love the kid detective trope i absolutely adore it it's one of my favorite things about venture brothers the kind of like kid, yeah. kid hero stuff um if i ever sat down and wrote something it probably would be 
something like that because I just uh, for some reason I adore that trope um, and this fits into that so well that it was one of those films that I wish I'd written this like that's how much I liked it um, and I really 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 recommend it I really really recommend it it's it's super so um, and the other film I watched the other day was The News of the World starring starring Tom Hanks by Paul Green. Is this this is the second part of his newspaper trilogy? <laughs> what was his first part of his newspaper trilogy? The, the Post, wasn't it? Oh, I thought you meant Paul Greengrass. No. <laughs> <laughs> born, born, born newspaper. Uh, yes, I guess it is the second part of the newspaper trilogy. I <laughs> l- loved it. Like, it's set in, like, kind of just post-Civil War America in the South. Um, Tom Hanks is playing a Confederate general who's not obviously no longer in the Confederate Army, but he's just travelling town to town. And he he's a newsie. He reads the news to people because obviously like literacy, literacy is kind of low in these places. So he literally just gets given the newspapers, what's published around there, and he and he performs it to people. And um, I won't put Tom Hanks to read me the news every day. Like I I could have watched a whole film of him just reading news stories out. Like it's so engaging. The rest of the film is good. Um, I really liked it. I uh, I can understand why people wouldn't like it. It's really not like. Paul Greengrass. It's not like a Paul Greengrass film. He's trying. So it's to not like different. two second cuts, and it's like no handheld. <laughs> there's a lot. The there's a lot. There is moments like that, but the, most of it is these long stretches of looking at like um, this kind. You know, the post Civil War South. Um, these plains, these areas of like wilderness and deserts and stuff like that. Places I'd love to go visit in America, honestly. Um, and uh, a lot of it is about the kind of. Um, tensions that have arisen after the civil war these little pockets of self-governance the relationships with native people and the relationships of immigrants in that time period as well because obviously america was full of immigrants every time period and uh and i just adored it i just had one of those films where i put it on i didn't expect to think much of it and then i was just engrossed by it and it's not getting great reviews but i can understand them but i didn't i don't totally agree for me it was you know, total total film I like to watch, and Tom Hanks is wonderful. So, <laughs> like, so they're my two recommendations as well. For if you've not been watching films for two months, Ollie, <laughs> no, I know I definitely want to check out the Kid Detective. I think you'll love only, it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've only watched a few. I watched The uh, Tenant finally. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and despite all its glaring flaws, and there are a lot of flaws in this yeah. film. Like, I don't think the lead character... Like, I don't think uh, Washington is that great in it, but I don't think he's helped by quite a bit of a lackluster script for him, to yeah. be honest. For the fact yeah. he's called, he's just called protagonist. Protagonist. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he's really good in Black Klansman, but, like, I just didn't... He just didn't work for me fully in this one, but... Um, I think but, uh, he's really good in Tenant, but mm, it's, not, it's not a performance. It's not a showy performance. Yeah, he's I mean, basically... Patterson gets that, though, doesn't he? So he yeah, gets Patterson kind of, falls in it. He does, but um, but just the idea and the concept behind it, I loved. Sure, like you know, it kind of, and I thought Branagh was great as this kind of like over the top kind of Bond like <laughs> villain. Um, I didn't think Elizabeth Debicki was very good. I like how tall she is, and they kind of lean into that that she's quite imposing over people. Like I like the fact that there's a scene in the film that's literally her opening a car with her feet from sitting yeah. in the back of the film. Like <laughs> yeah, basically, the film she's like, this, "Look at this woman; she's tall." <laughs> but like I, uh, she felt came across a bit awkward and I don't know if that's just kind of I Nolan not, 
Yeah. yeah. And I just I just wish he kind of either got his brother involved or someone that can kind of at least help shape. Yeah. Shape You're right. The script just isn't there and I just the script just isn't there but I didn't hate watching it. Like yeah. it is too long. Um and then, and then there is stuff about it that I'm like it's kind of funny how we always criticize Nolan about dead wife films and this film yeah. is again <laughs> Like, yes all about that like all about it um but like i don't know i can't like the one thing i can't fault him because he's making these massive movies that aren't based on original like on already existing ip and i love the fact that he's making yeah. these big films that are original yeah. and um i do wonder if it'd be different if he'd watched it at cinema if i'd be yeah, more interested in it possibly with tom cruise yes god <laughs> That's the best video for twenty. That's the best. That's Oscar winning. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's <laughs> my favorite film of twenty twenty. You have to know the sequel though, where he goes off on one on the the crew of um, Mission <laughs> yeah. Impossible twenty or whatever it is. Ah, <laughs> oh, Tom Hanks. Uh, and then the other Tom film Hanks, I watched. Tom Cruise. <laughs> the other film I watched. It's cool. It's the total opposite though. Uh, it's called PG Psycho Gorman. <laughs> okay. And it's kind of like, it's like a, a low budget film and. Um, Came out last year, or this year, I don't know. But it's about this um, these two kids who dig up a monster in their garden. Is this the one that's underwater? Underwater? Yeah. No, it's no, like no. a water monster. This film is kind of like, it's kind of made to look like a 90s kind of Nickelodeon TV show film. Okay. But it's really violent and really gory. And all the effects are like practical, so there's a lot of like costumes and stop motion like the character all the monsters in it look like they're from power rangers and okay. um, and the tone of it is kind of like freaked or the gate or monster squad but mixed with yeah. like tim and eric and turbo kid and hellraiser sure. and like it's got a theme song in it that's like turtle power from the ninja turtle so it's totally in my kind of like yeah wheelhouse your, of absolutely your wheelhouse yeah it's really funny like really off kilter funny um it's not for everyone but i kind of recommend it <laughs> Okay, okay. It's really okay. silly, but it's fun. Would you like to do a film that's kind of all those kind of costumes? That kind of kind of plastic. I'd like to make any fucking film. If anyone so. gave me the money, I'd make <laughs> I'd make anything. <laughs> well yes. Yeah. I'd get you to write it and Paul in it and then I'm done. Job done. <laughs> that's all you want in the world. You can't afford you me. Mind me- <laughs> How much do you cost, Paul? Twelfty, I don't know. Twelfty. What's the <laughs> what's the going rate these days? I'm busy. Leave me alone. That's my answer. I haven't told you what day we're filming yet, so how do you know you're busy? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, an 18-month-old lives in my house. Anna. <laughs> you should get him to pay rent, and then I can pay you. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. She doesn't. She doesn't want to hear get it. Get a job. <laughs> How is your child 18 years old? It's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Is the time gone. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 18 years old. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this lockdown has been. Flight long. of the Navigator shit happening. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, she's doing great. She's doing all the things she should be doing, apart from paying rent. But yeah. Well, that's fine. She's on her fine way for being a communist. <laughs> <laughs> we're raising her as an Antifa super soldier. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're getting all that money from uh, from George Soros, aren't you? Like, yeah, I can't I can't stop him. I was, you know, I was like, mate, <laughs> I was like, mate, come on, this is too much now. This is too much, George. <laughs> but they just keep on coming. 
You remind me, Ollie. Um, have you seen Briggsy Bear? Briggsby Bear. Briggsby Bear. Which one? I've Brigsby heard of Bear. it. I haven't seen that one yet, though. And it's. I think. I think Phil Lord and Miller produced it, or. A, is it Kiva Schaefer? Is it Kiva got Schaefer? um? Is it got what's his name in it? Uh, it's Kyle Mooney, Claire Danes, Mark Hamill, Greg. Kinney. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking. Yeah, you know, I do need to watch that. And there's a new um, Nick Cage film called Is it Weekend at Willie's or something like Willie's yes, Kids? Yeah, Willie's it's, Wonderland. It's an absolute ripoff of that computer game that annoyed me. Five Nights what at Freddy's. It? Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's he's an like absolutely rip off of it, but he's like attacked by the ghosts of like Muppets, essentially. I think. Yeah, animatronic creatures. It's like yeah, yeah he goes to like a, a, an arcade, and the, all the animatronics in it are all haunted, and he has to spend one night there or something. Um, Have you seen the trailer? Like his beard is the most just for men beard and hair I've ever seen. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's not even his hair; it's a wig. But like, <laughs> but that beard is so just for men. I think it looks a lot of fun. I'm I'm absolutely up for watching it. I, I oh, love yeah. Nick Cage just going off on it. Um, it's that that kind of script is perfect for Nick Cage. You know, it's just what he should be doing. Yeah, so, give um, me one crazy Nick Cage film per year, and I'm happy. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. Mandy last year. You got Color from Outer Space this year. Yeah, yeah, Willy's yeah, Wonderland. Yeah. He's know. working with that insane Japanese director whose name I won't pull, but that's going to be his next film for next year as well. Um, so. I think Nick Cage is doing wonderful work. I, I get annoyed when people get like really people critical of him. him. Like, yeah, Nick and Cage they get really like, oh god, you must have a lot of bills. And it's like, dude's making films. Like he's he making, enjoys like, making great stuff. Like, like, to be honest, his trajectory hasn't changed. Like, he's one of his first no. films. Is like, va- was it Vampire's Kiss or whatever? Sure, sure, sure. That, and yeah, that film's batshit yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then so you know like he was channeling every- Woody Woodpecker for for raising Arizona and stuff like that. So you know he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. always been this way. And like even the film we watched that is insane, like uh, Wild at Heart. Like he's Wild at Heart. Yeah, like he's always been doing these type of films. And now and again he puts in you know he puts in Oscar winning performances in other things. It's or like, he does his like National Treasure. Yeah, he does like you know. That's his money films, National Treasure. The B movies he does, he doesn't make a lot of money on them. And sure, I don't know, he did, I don't know, 18 films in 2019 or something. <laughs> like, sure. But, like, one of them is good, and the rest of them are just meh. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just. Was that film you're on about called Prisoners of the Ghostland or something? I don't know. It apparently is so. Uh, where is it? Uh, I think it is called Prisoner of the Ghostland. Yeah, a, a notorious um, criminal is sent to rescue a governor's daughter who has disappeared into a dark supernatural universe to escape the nightmare world. The hero must break the evil curse controlling the mysterious ghostland. Sounds good. Sounds like a movie. That's what movies <laughs> are, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, a movie. If I you didn't know, know Sono is, is made up of twenty-four consecutive pictures. Is it? Yeah. I learned that from uh, Charlie Kaufman, and uh... <laughs> it's just a series of mo- of pictures strung together to give the illusion of movement. <laughs> Dude, That's you know what? the the Nick Cage thing is like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be really brilliant, you got to take a risk, you know. Yeah. And we talked about Tom Hanks already. Like, I think Tom Hanks is great, but he's like, has Tom Hanks ever really like taken a risk? Oh yeah, Cloud Atlas. He took all the risks. <laughs> but then That's even that, like a it, guy but... who is like just such a dependable everyman type, like Tom Hanks, like rarely misses with the projects that he picks, and the mm, you know yeah. he like he tends but, I mean, he tends to fit into a similar box. Nick Cage is like, 
I'm just going to do something weird and, you know, maybe people will make fun of me, but at least I'm trying. <laughs> and yeah, I respect yeah. that. I respect that because if you really want to do something amazing, then there's always an element of risk and not everything can not everything can work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, just, still... I, just, I just get tired of all the um, elitism that fans bring to stuff. I just mm. get tired of hearing it, and I think it just plays out with when people talk about Nick Cage. It's like, oh, stop being so fucking stuck up your ass. Like, I, I'm someone who talks about fucking Rafifi, and I'm still not that like, <laughs> like, too bothered about like, oh god, Nick Cage did a B movie. Well, like, it's fine. I just get, I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm rambling. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny, even like the the fact that there is snobbery around what is like you know, possibly the most kind of mainstream, lowest common denominator art form in the world. Yeah. You know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) But I guess, you know, there's there's obviously levels within that, but I just think, like, there's also... Because there's levels and because it's so big, there's also space. And not everything has to be trying to do the same thing. And I think no. something, you know, something that took a lot of my life to kind of think about is like, it's fine that it's fine that some stuff is there, like just to be mass market, you know, to employ a bunch of people and make some money. And it's like, yeah, like where the money ends up isn't what I would ideally go for. Yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> but also sure. it's like not everything, you know, and it's like totally going against my point about Nick Cage. It's like not everything has to be revolutionary like not everything has to be shooting for the moon like sometimes just doing something of good quality for people to enjoy you know is if that that's the best thing you can do sometimes yeah absolutely and i mean films for so many years and we we, i don't think most people appreciate it for so many years films are just a thing to get you into the place to spend money and oh yeah to go on a date or yeah just something to kind of do to do yeah and because you know these buildings that that we used to watch films in need people to come in and spend money in them like and that's all been marketed around that way we advertise on it we whatever they're just a huge money making system and i just chill out (laughs) just like (laughs) enjoy them (laughs) it's it's interesting though i'm gonna i'm gonna play my usual move and like link this to (laughs) to game industry experience because that's what i actually know about um but there's there's obviously like you talking about going to a place to do a thing and then that's kind of how they make money if you think about video game arcades the decline of video game Mm. arcades in the west Mm. is like i think an interesting mirror for what from my perspective i see as a decline in cinema attendance you know obviously like pandemic notwithstanding and everything but the sort of trend that we've seen especially you know as as dvd players got you know uh became more affordable dvds are basically cheap as hell streaming massive tvs like all these things like going to the cinema just feels like a lower and lower value proposition meanwhile the prices just go up and up Um, yeah 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 so yeah i mean i think there's like interesting parallels there but it's also interesting that like so much of video game design as we know it now is based on things that were put into place like because of the arcade game system you know it's like it's it's not a secret that those arcade games the point is to get you to put money to get get you to keep putting money in it in like a habitual way 
And obviously, yeah. a lot of the game design came out of that. And then those that those game design principles were just carried forward into home entertainment systems, regardless. Yeah, without without thinking about it, like the whole level systems or stuff like that, or just yeah, you know, life system and stuff like that. And then now it's kind of we got to the point where full circle isn't isn't the right phrase because it's very different. But at the same time, now we're operating this sphere where uh, mobile gaming, where the game is free. It's free to walk into the arcade, but if you want to have a good time, you got to put a quarter in the slot, you know? Sure. And then the whole game is built around getting you to put another quarter in the slot. And, you know, you do that a few times, then you go to a different machine and do it a few times. And, and that's, like, essentially the same thing, but it just exists in this, like, digital space. And I yeah. wonder, yeah. as as I said, like, because of those parallels between, you know, the cinema and the arcade, like, what are those fundamentals of cinema filmmaking that don't translate like i know i've seen the kind of meme of like um watching tenet in the way chris nolan intended or something where people are watching it on like screens on toilet seats and stuff have you seen that <laughs> sure, <laughs> because sure, like sure. you know because he made a comment because obviously it was released in cinemas during the pandemic and i think he like i think he made some kind of comment of like it's how it's like meant to be seen or something mm-hmm. and that's why i decided to and obviously he made that decision. <laughs> um, where I was going with that is it's also interesting now you have this idea from an extremely prominent filmmaker who's saying, no, that you should see this you should see this movie in a cinema. And I know that's a thought that's been echoed like by other by other people as well, but obviously it was in the case of the pandemic, it it was just this level of absurdity. Exactly. Of like going into this building, sitting with a bunch of other people in the dark, like just for the sake of watching a film on a big screen. Yeah. But like, will that, will now, like, because so many more people watch films at home, like streaming services like Netflix are probably like, I imagine they're putting out more movies at this point by far, like just direct into people's homes than into cinema. Yeah. And it's not like... It's not like the dirty word, like direct to DVD thing anymore. It's like, oh, it's it's a Netflix movie. Like, I don't think there's much of a stigma around that. Well, even in the last year, there was. I would say it's it has changed so damn quickly. It like um, even like last year, you were talking about. Do you think a Netflix film will ever win like the Oscar? Look, here's I can't remember the film title. Here's it's up for best picture, but it will never win it because you know Netflix is not a real studio and it doesn't have proper cinema releases. And this year, it's it's gonna be something like that. And the next year, it probably will be. It's gone so quickly to the point where we're just used to the fact that this is how it gets delivered. And we were talking about this for years. Like, how does how does streaming start taking over? Like, what do they do? And it's I think it's pretty much here to stay now that the model's found itself. I mean, early on in the pandemic, you had basically these premium releases. Like, Milan cost like $30 or something. God, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? Like... And from my perspective, that was the maybe early I'm wrong. Part. I, <laughs> I think it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's insane. And that was that was the early part of the pandemic. And now Wonder Woman just gets released on HBO, you know, like, or so like, and that's no one thought that it made it a worse film or made it look bad. You know, the reviews weren't great for it, but it, it, it its release schedule wasn't what people thought made it bad. It's just people expect it to be released like that now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting for me, like, I, like, just from my perspective, it's like the delivery mechanism. 
is whatever like it's it's inevitable you know like it's it's just yeah. what happens like it's the it's the easiest and most convenient way for people to consume the media so it's yeah. almost definitely going to become the dominant platform if it's not already yeah. what's interesting to me is like when you said when you said people were talking about oh netflix films aren't really real movies i kind of went well they've got a point <laughs> because <laughs> so much of so much of what Netflix does is very nakedly AI driven in order to maximize yes. in yeah. order to maximize yeah. acquisition. Yeah. And I think I made a similar yeah. point the last time I was on this, so I won't I won't go into that. Like, well, we too talked much. about it before that with their series stuff, yeah. um, they tend to cancel things after two series because it's about getting the initial subscription. It's not about yeah. producing the whole series, and it's not about how much viewing figures there are. It's about that subscription. It's just nakedly about that subscription to get people to re-up it or to not cancel it. When we and to constantly be telling you that something else is coming again that you need to keep your description active for. When we finish talking about this point, remind me to talk about the series that doesn't follow that trend because I wanted to talk okay, okay, about okay. it. Okay. But um yeah, so this kind of alg- algorithmically driven approach I think is also apparent in their like in their film catalog as well. Which mm. kind of makes you think, like, well, okay, they're making these movies, but it's extremely nakedly, like, marketing-driven. And then you kind of go, wait a minute. Is that not exactly what the major studios <laughs> have been doing for <laughs> for they, a long time? It's what the major studios have been trying to do. So that's why mm. you've always had, like, you know... Um, test screenings or those um showings where they you know they get the audience to review them afterwards you know did you like this what bit did you not like not real test screenings that's where you always get like aggra- you know aggregators and things like that and they, they watch those they've been desperate to get actual figures for years and like i tell you the thing that's made the pa- that the pandemic has made the movie studios really happy about is the fact that the box office isn't a thing anymore yeah. So, like, for years, we've been obsessed with what the box office says and what the box office has hit. And now it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist at all. And box office through streaming is not the same in the slightest. Like, Netflix's ridiculous statements, like this has been watched by 17 billion people or something, mm. is, is complete bullshit. It's, it's not true. It's 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 like, it, I don't know how they work it out, but there'll be someone will find out at some point. It's, it's every time you fucking, I don't know, you highlight it or something like that. It's recording it as a view. Or something dumb, yeah. Like, and um, I mean, so I think I think box office for, was yeah. So what the studios are really happy about the fact is we're not now um so obsessed with how much money they're making, so they can hide all this fucking money now. They don't, you know, they don't know that Tenant made you know a hundred billion or whatever. We it can make as much money as they say it made. So like in terms of creative marketing and funneling money different ways, it's the studios are going to be so happy about that, and the fact that they're not so like open. To to absolute like transparency because the box office used to be so yeah but no they've always managed to like because always actors and like stars always got back end but they'd always managed to wrangle it so like for example Ghostbusters when that was like that was like a massive success like in today's like world that's like a billion dollar film sure and um, they managed to work it out that they made no money on it. Do you know what I mean? So they didn't have to pay any back end deals or anything like that, and sure, uh, sure. which is which is a load of bollocks. Yeah, but just they've yeah. always managed to wrangle it in their favour. Yeah, I, just, I guess I just mean I think it's become incredibly easy for them now, and they won't be pushing to get this box office model back in. Like they'll be looking yeah. to stick it the way it is. Yeah, I mean it was it was getting it was getting kind of ridiculous anyway, wasn't it? Because it's really like with that with those box office numbers, it's like you're either on top or you're not. 
You know, it's like if if you have a massive massive smash hit, then obviously you're happy to share that number. It, even like obfuscated by the fact that actually it's only slightly over the budget, <laughs> like the marketing yeah, budget yeah, for the yeah. movie. Like it's got nothing to do with like actual profitability. It's just the a budget big we number. actually announced, not the budget we actually spent. Well. Yeah, I mean, in in marketing terms, it's like you know because I'm an awful marketing person. It's something I say to clients quite a lot. It's like nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. You know, it's like it's like studies studies <laughs> studies show that people will literally just join a queue for no reason, just because there's a queue. So there must be something good at the end of it. Like, yeah. it's it's just kind of how human psychology works. And I, I think um, yes, a lot of people will be happy that that number isn't one that is commonly used anymore. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Marvel Studios would be upset about it. But other than them, Disney, I guess, would be annoyed. They, but other I- than them. I mean, Disney are full into this subscription model now, and their newest—they're oh, yeah. doing their big release next month or whatever it is, next few weeks on Disney Plus. Like What's they're that? announcing absolutely everywhere. They're doing a huge—the biggest drop of digital movies. Oh, like film ever, going. like mm. yeah. So it's basically all the Fox catalog. But like, um, yeah, but like a new a new Star them, Wars or like a new like Marvel movie would—they'd probably yeah. still do like a traditional release. Like I think pandemic yeah, pandemic I aside, do. they would have still done that. I expect. I expect they still will because they they ha- they have hidden like the films that they would have come out like um, Scarlet whatever. No, it's Black Widow. <laughs> Black Widow, yeah. <laughs> yeah Scarlet yeah. Widow. Scarlet Widow. <laughs> Close. Um, Close. So I think they're trying to save it for traditional releases, but I I think the digital release won't be far off it. I think they'll aim for the opening weekend stuff because I think the opening weekend will still be a big thing. Um, and they used to drop off cinemas in two weeks anyway, really, mm. the, the actual numbers. So I think they'll probably just drop it to streaming quite quickly now. Yeah, red carpet's probably massive like social engagement for them as well, isn't it? So Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah, but it gets yeah, in all the press and stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, bringing up, talking about the Netflix model, the two-season model, there's a show mm-hmm. that I've been watching that's, that's bucked the trend of that. Uh, like I said, the the small human living in my house takes a lot of time, so I don't get much opportunity to watch stuff. But I have watched three seasons of a show on Netflix. Can you believe it? The third one dropped recently. This is a show that I'm trying to think what it is. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm not going to say what it is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna describe it and see how long make it takes to get it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make you guess. There's three seasons of it. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, it is amazing. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, the the biggest thing, the reason I really like this show is, like, they could have phoned it in. They okay. could have totally phoned it in, and it actually, like, it would have been fine, you know? Like, no one had to put any effort into this, and it would have, like, it would have done what it was meant to do. But it just goes so hard in so many different areas and it actually ends up being amazing it's a show based on a movie that came out in the 80s cobra kai yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the, th- the thing I with this have, have either of you watched it yeah I but i have to say I, I this is the one time i can be elitist in my did in the, oh in my you watched world. it back in the youtube days i did i watched it when it was a youtube, a YouTube oh Red of course program. yeah yeah i forgot like, about that 
which you know everyone's favorite streaming platform youtube red that we all talk about daily and we can never get <laughs> dude you say that i watch youtube on a daily basis like, no, I, I watch, watch more youtube, YouTube than anything but i can't believe that like youtube is the most watched thing in the world and they couldn't get a bloody fucking screen uh, streaming model we're actually working through it yeah because youtube's free yeah. how are you going to get someone to pay for something that's free <laughs> that doesn't make yeah, any sense to pay for it yeah it's like hey you like watching youtube yeah do you want to pay for it no no <laughs> like, <what? laughs> and, and because youtube is seen as a total internet thing as well when people are like come on watch this cobra kai it's brilliant it's actually really worth paying youtube red for people just downloaded it because it's on the internet <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so YouTube, YouTube like, isn't it? YouTube's an internet utility. Like, it's not. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a company. It's not like HBO or Netflix or whatever. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's like it's not. It's not good. Like the level it is, it's like it's like a it's like one of the better teen drama kind of shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. What I think is old man is your lead. This is well. That's why. That's why it's amazing because the show doesn't shy away from the fact that it is ridiculous that these yes. two middle-aged men's entire yes. lives have pivoted life. around <laughs> around a local under 18s karate <laughs> tournament that they were both in when they were teenagers. Well, I don't know like, about also you, Paul. Doesn't but shy I away did... from the actual Cobra Kai thing as well. Like Paul. Like, Paul. Yeah. I, I did Taekwondo as a kid in uh, uh, <laughs> Good Hope Social Club with Liam. And I took part in a tournament and uh, I actually came, I got bronze, but I was beaten by one kid who kicked me so hard in the chest that I uh, was winded and I uh, had to forfeit one of the matches. And to this wow. day, I hold a vendetta and a grudge <laughs> against this said individual. He's my mortal enemy. Can't remember his name. See, so then, so then you should be watching Cobra Kai because you can relax. I should. You know? No, it's too, it's too, it's too close to the bone to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is very. But I, and I think it's like it's such a fine line to walk to acknowledge the ridiculousness of your own premise while actually yeah. still maintaining the seriousness in the moment, and also acknowledging like how how much of a toxic effect the this obsession has had to these men yes to their whole lives my, and it's actually one of my ma- sorry is, Liam, yeah i was going to say my favorite character show is daniel's wife who is that she's just like yeah. why are you why are you so just stop it yeah. be a, be oh, an is adult he, is, is he not <laughs> married to like, elizabeth shoe no they no. broke up at the end of karate kid 1 come on up. did they <laughs> <laughs> They're not together in Karate Kid 2. He tells that silly story about how they broke up in Karate Kid 2. I can't remember. I only remember, which is the one where they're planting bonsai trees and they have to like... Three. He's like on a pulley system or whatever. Is that three? Yeah. Call yourself a movie fan. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like actually one of my biggest criticisms of the show is that sometimes the show forgets that actually Daniel is awful and ridiculous yes <laughs> and i and i think that like that's why that that's why his wife as a character is so good because she's the only real person on the show she is the only human in the show yeah she yeah is. and like, she but like i don't think i don't think it ever goes far enough with because my favorite thing to do during season three is occasionally yelling where's your son daniel <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he had a son. Exactly. I legitimately forgot. 
He has two children. <laughs> he has two children. <laughs> and he's um, like and he's spending all his time fighting for the soul of someone else's kid. That is ridiculous. Um, there was a line in the season three when the teachers are yelling about the incident in the school mm. and they're like um they're like we can't be held hostages by these local karate gangs. Or yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, the writers are loving this. The writers are having so much fun just just yeah. feeding into this and leaning into it. Yeah. It's like, like I, I just think it, it is like, it's just interesting how they don't shy away from the fact that not only is it ridiculous, but it's also incredibly toxic to their lives. And, and also they're, they're very like, um, it's it's kind of weird. Like I feel like the writers' room is just constant arguments because sometimes they make like really clever points about like toxic masculinity, and they make like you know like clever points about like the the older generations' view of younger people versus what younger mm. people are actually like. And then mm. sometimes like there's just this these like lines where you just think like who let the old man in the in the writing room like it's strange and it's like it's very kind of it's it's a little bit unbalanced in in its kind of worldview sometimes but i think it's like yeah it's it's way cleverer than it needed to be like it's um again again it's not like race and the toxic kind of um like blind patriotism to to veterans as well yeah, like they yeah, they yeah. they think about these these things about the characters, which is weird. It's the, I, I I I'm with you. I didn't think they would think about this as much. Yeah, yeah. So it is a show. Like I said, it's hard to say that it's good. Yeah, but it's in. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. enjoyable and it's, it's and it's watchable. amazing and it's like so like so unique. Like there's so few things that you could do this with. I think, yeah, and really, like really, really make it work, and I'm sure we'll find out, you know, because they're gonna they're yeah, gonna try and do it with other trying, things, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. yeah. uh, yeah, sorry, because they're, they're trying to do it with like um, Saved by the Bell, and I think there's another film they're kind of trying to make into like a. People are enjoying the Saved by the Bell um, new series. Yeah, I've got no interest in watching it, but people rest are in peace, Dustin Diamond. I, sh- I guess we should probably yeah, say true. that. I think um well I think I was gonna say about Cobra Kai, which I think is really unique as well, which never happens on these reboot stuff, is that literally every actor is back. Like yeah. literally every yeah, actor yeah. is back. It's not like they Including... were doing much. <laughs> Even Pat Pat no, Marita, but, is he back? No, but that's from the no, that's the important thing, all they were acting. Because if they oh, weren't okay. doing anything, they wouldn't be on the show. You know, but they all have continued being working actors, so they're able. Oh, to like come in back bit parts and, and stuff like that. You yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, like his girlfriend in the second one, the Japanese girl, I, 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 she came onto the show, and I was like, I know the actress. What's she been acting in? And looked it up, and she was in Picard. She was like Commander O in Picard that I just watched this the year before. Oh, like, no way. So it's it's incredible. Anytime, that anytime I look at actors like that, they always end up they're in SVU or like <laughs> well, like one of those kind of shows or like LA, you know, the Law and Order or something like that. Yeah, sure, sure. But it's I just found it quite remarkable that literally anyone who's ever in that show apparently keep kept on working, including the trilogy, because they they were obsessed with the events that's happened in these three films that you don't ever remember until the show, and the show knows you don't remember them because they show you flashbacks constantly <laughs> yeah. to remind you. But I, I love how they're just so tied to it. I've never seen a series that's so tied to law. A law that no <laughs> one knew. Like, yeah. 
they didn't need to they didn't need to do that at all like yeah. no one was begging for it so it's just it's a fascinating watch i really do recommend it yeah it's like it's it's like it's hard to say that it's good but it's very easy to recommend and it's it's definitely yeah, yeah. it's definitely very enjoyable and it's not and i think you're right that it is like incredibly tied to the established law but it's not like um it doesn't hold it sacred either Right. Like, I think one of the really interesting things about the show is obviously because Daniel is not the only protagonist now. Johnny is also a protagonist. Yeah. So it's very important that actually they kind of reposition a few things slightly to make Johnny much more sympathetic. Mm. Even though obviously like he's is an asshole, but is like a is like a sympathetic asshole. And also like I feel like they they kind of show things from his side in a way that actually, in actually a kind works. of post hoc way, like justify his actions during the first film, but also, you know, like it doesn't feel like force or it doesn't feel like they're kind of, you know, going back on what happened, but it is it is yeah. interesting. And I just think like, I forget his name, but the, the guy who plays Johnny is like yeah, I forget his name, man sure. he like some of this stuff that just shouldn't work at all like he absolutely <laughs> nails it and he can William go like Zabka. Zabka. William Zabka? It, yeah Zabka. i, be- yeah, yeah, I, be- yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you but like sometimes he just like sometimes it goes so close to the edge of being just too over the top too ridiculous <laughs> too unbelievable and then they always manage to pull it back and whatever he's doing, like whether he's like being a clown or yeah. like beating up guys in a bar or having a stupid petty argument with his childhood rival <laughs> or like any of these things, like he's always believable in the moment. I agree. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think like, because there's a lot of, there's there's another character in the show who I think they totally fail at this with. But the thing with Johnny is like, whatever he, whatever he has to be, like he just, in the moment, like he totally nails it. Yeah. And his kind of, his incon- like his inconsistency as a character is kind of part of his character. Like he's his own worst enemy and all this kind of stuff. So it makes sense that he flip flops like that. Yeah. And you end up like you end up really rooting for him because you want him to make the good choice. Yeah, just make the good choice. Yeah, totally. Or you just want, or you just want the thing to work out for him because he just like wants it so much and it'd be nice. But then of course it just it falls apart in his hands <laughs> because he doesn't know how to interact with people really. Um. Yeah, anyway, that's me. That's me chatting about <laughs> Cobra Kai. <laughs> so, yeah, all that talk of elitism earlier, you can forget about that. <laughs> My one remaining question Now, let, Cobra now Kai. let's talk about 1950s <laughs> French cinema. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today's film is from 1955 and it's Coup d'arrivée, je voudrais m'en mêler, mais du doigt, 
Il me montre la porte et me dit tire-toi Et quand il revient sans rien dire avec son méchant petit sourire à mon tour ça ne fait pas un peli Je suis bonne pour la réfléchir Okay, I've got, any, I've got a question for you. I've been asking this as our guests, like, and I think I know the answer. I think you may have even said, have you got any experience of 50s films? Or what do you think when someone says to you, like, let's watch this 50s film or something like that? What was your immediate reaction? Is it like, oh shit, someone's giving me... That's a daily occurrence for Paul. <laughs> is it like someone's giving me... The, is it <laughs> like homework? Do you film. get that kind of feeling about it? That it's like, it's like, this is going to be an effort or is this going to be like fun to watch or something? Because I think most people think if you're watching something so old, it feels a bit like heavy lifting, like you're going to have to kind of struggle with this a little bit. I mean, I think I'm uh, like, maybe I'm atypical in the way that like, I saw it as like a fun opportunity to do something that I wouldn't normally do. Okay, cool. Um, And I, I think that like, maybe if you go back far enough where the cinematic language is just so divorced from yeah. what we have now, like maybe... Maybe that would be like a little bit more of a struggle, but I was actually, I was pleasantly surprised with this film. I expected it to be good or else why would you ask me to watch it? <laughs> you know, like, um, so I was kind of going in going, okay, this is, this is, this is going to be decent. I know the general like premise and like that, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and I was actually very interested, especially in the first half of the movie, thinking about again, like cinematic language the kind of things that still are used, the kind of mm-hmm. tropes that are still used in cinema, the things that aren't used, even things like um, I found like the editing and shot construction really interesting sometimes. Absolutely. How like how like just occasionally there was a moment where it was just like, well, I see why they did that, but that would never happen like now. Yeah. And other and other things like I don't know how far we want to go into. That. Like I guess in answer to the question, like I was I was excited about. Um, you know, having the opportunity to like experience something that I wouldn't have normally picked to watch. Oh, that's fun. Uh, so that's my view of it. I think. I think it was. I mean, it feels slightly daunting from my point of view to go up to someone and said like, "Please, can you come on our podcast and, and watch this French film? It's about two hours. It's in black and white, and it's from the fifties." Well, no, but like the other people, other friends of ours that we've approached, they're like. I don't really know much about 50s films. I'm like, that, that's the that's fucking the point. That's the point. <laughs> like, <laughs> nor do we. Like, like we don't yeah, either. Like, we're learning. Like, um, and uh, I think the benefit of Rafifi versus, we. I mean, French noir at this period is everywhere. Like, um, we're just going into the new wave cinema. Like, me and Brandon did a little episode on it a, a couple of weeks ago. Like, we could have picked any of those, but I think what's really good about Rafifi is it's not a French film. It's an American film. It has American sensibilities. French people at the time looked at Rafifi and saw it as a Hollywood film. It was full of these Hollywood flashes and Hollywood stuff. And American people looked at it to see it as like a suave French like art <laughs> piece. Like So it's, it's a film that's always sat firmly in the middle of the Atlantic of like kind of, kind of on both sides. And, and no one really, everyone thinking it's, 
good because it's of the other of the thing that gets brought to it and again with Rafifi and I think we did cover another film that's like this as well that the archetypes in this and the tropes in this are so genre setting that if you've seen any heist movie it came from this like and, oh, yeah. um, I think sometimes when you go back to watch those archetypal films you feel like you know it all kind of like you know what the trope's going to be you know what's going to be set up and you know the twists and turns and stuff and I think what I loved about this is it still worked for me like it, it still kind of built that tension it was still really fun to watch and it was still like you know sexy and kind of cool and you know the, the main scene when we get to it is so engrossing I think like and it's shot so well and it's it's shot so lovingly I think that um it just ties the whole thing together for me yeah, it's it's amazing to think that like as a kind of I guess foundational text for a genre, it just like just the thought of like people sitting around and just like inventing this stuff, <laughs> just coming up with it. And it's like and it is interesting that it still plays perfectly well today, I think. Mm. Like it's still it still plays exactly as it should. Beca- but it because it just means that like all of these choices that they made they just like absolutely nailed and like no one's really come up with a better idea yeah in a lot of cases since then which is just incredible like for that well, amount of time I mean this this film we we I don't know if we've actually mentioned no, we're talking about I was gonna go into it we keep, <laughs> <That's> gonna... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we keep like dating around the bush but like you know this film was quite notorious it was banned in countries or places or, or cut heavily because they thought of it as like an in- instructional kind of mm, film yep, yeah. like how to rob a bank how to rob a jewelry store it's like it's there were, pe- yeah, there were yeah, people that like claimed a, they learned a perfectly it, reasonable plan yeah and they the people that did use the plans in this to rob places it was it was people watching going oh that makes sense we can do this like kind of thing like <laughs> it did happen i think the actual truth of that is is absolutely overblown but at least that's on that is on reports that people got this this idea from it. Yeah, I imagine there's like a, a film. There was a film company exec somewhere who was spinning a lot of those stories. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't sure. be surprised. But I, I will say, I work with a French woman. She's she's very cultured. She's very well read. I told her that I watched this movie, and she was extremely unimpressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> she offered she offered to she offered to give me a list of French noir movies was like her first her first reaction. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I told that you, you should that's say that. And you totally like you can it. absolutely feel you can absolutely feel the Hollywood influence all the yeah. way through this. Yeah. But then maybe like maybe that works both ways as well. Like maybe this was a movie that like I think it just is set up it's set up so much of those expectations. It is. It absolutely is why this film worked. It's why this film was so popular. It's why this film broke barriers. It's it's because it is this mix of French and Hollywood filmmaking. It, it is because. Well, I mean, you don't even see any French landmarks until the very last really, no. scene of the film. It's like when they go past the um, oh fuck, what is it? You know the I've forgotten what the name. The French the, thing. Describe it. Yeah, the French thing. <laughs> so the big, end of that big road. What's it Chons called? The, oh, yeah, that's the, the one. That big road. The Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, I've been I've been there. That goes back to my New York stories. Oh, this I've, is I've another there. Ollie's Ollie's vacation films. <laughs> Obviously, I did. I've, I've also I've also been there, and I've also been to the road in uh, Bucharest in Romania that was mm. specifically built to be one meter wider than the Champs Elysees. <laughs> well, you have another French connection, don't you? Mm. Aren't you like? Aren't you descended from French royalty? <laughs> Uh, kind of, yeah, but I mean, not not in, 
you know, not in a not in a way that means I have horses or anything. Um, but you know, yeah, like uh, my my family history is is French. It's where my surname comes from. Well, that's where um, we got onto the Nadine. show. I thought, get Paul on. He can tell us all about French things. He's he's very French. Well, this <laughs> this this was a thing actually. I was like. I was like, they've asked me to watch this film. It's like, why do they want me to watch this? Like, I don't, I don't really know anything about like heist. I guess I like gangster movies a, a bit, I guess. And then I was, and then Kate said to me, the the director was blacklisted for being a communist yep. sympathizer. Yep. That's why I asked you. That's absolutely why I asked you. This film is full of that, and that's why I wanted you to watch it. I was gonna, I was well, gonna go into it. It's full it, yeah. of it, but he he claims it's not. Yeah, but he doesn't. Oh, think. There's only one yeah. sequence he claims is. I mean, he, uh, as you say, um, Mr. Mr. Jules Dassin, uh, it was blacklisted by the American House of Un-American Un- Activities or whatever. Uh, the House <laughs> for of being French for being a big commie. Um, mainly because he made he made a film called well, apparently Nazi though he, something. he wasn't part of the party no, though none of them it's all like yeah. none of them were members of the party none of them were communists they had a problem with socialists in Hollywood and they saw anyone who was a socialist as being an American same yeah. thing we spoke mm-hmm. about with the the lavender scare when I did the film with Natalie they saw like um, homosexuality as being anti-American so communist and the means you have to kick them out of the country like it was this idea of anything that didn't suit America ideals was communist and mm-hmm. he basically made a film that was um antifa film an uh, anti anti-fascism film called nazi something nazi hunters i think it was called or something like that it's called um uh and because of that that flagged him up as a big person uh for being a communist because he made a film against nazis <laughs> like that's like yeah, that's... well the the nazis hated communists they did the yeah. first target so know? um i think like i think it's a, a mistake that maybe is Nazi agent. Sure. I I think it's a mistake that people are much more likely to make now than back then, but it it seems to be a kind of popular myth now that, like, fascism and Nazism was this thing that happened, like a small, you know, a small group of people in one country in Europe went mad for a few years, and then the evil (laughs) was defeated, and it's... (laughs) And we we kind of ignore the fact that like most of the fascists were still just wandering around, and you know a lot of them a lot of them were the upper classes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a lot of them were people who make these decisions in government and stuff, and yep. you know it's uh, and you you know but it was very it's very easy to be like oh well the people with the black uniforms are gone so it's probably fine now and you well I mean to be fair he did join the communist party in the thirties but left he joined the communist party in the 39. same way I did in university. Like yeah, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like you know, really, if he was a communist or not, what matters is the fact that. Oh it, no, it, no, 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 you no, know, no. He basically, Elia Kazdan, Kazan, who was bring up on the show before, uh, the director who was husband of um, Barbara Loden, uh, and uh, he was basically a huge snitch for the House of Un American Activities. And he um he would yeah. basically just drop names, <laughs> basically into like yeah he's ratted him out, yeah and he? Uh, and he would just say this person's a communist and they'd speak to him and go oh look Dasin actually joined the party for a year in 1939 so yeah look at him and he made this film that hates Nazis so he must be a communist and it and they kicked him out of the country so at this point he you know he was making B movies for MGM that's really what he did in America um they kicked him out of the country and for about five. No, for more than five years, he was making like Italian and French, just kind of low budget films, 
low budget dramas and low budget horror films for five years he hadn't made a single thing like he was struggling you know he had no work coming in he was not allowed to work in hollywood well because actors were like, told that if he worked for him he'd they'd they'd be blacklisted as well yeah because so. it just went went and went and went i think and wasn't jar jacobor one or something yeah like that, probably probably yeah. And so eventually this this script landed on his desk really. He he hated the script. He's and he hated like as many What well, no it was the book. He was given the yeah, book that's and it. he couldn't actually read the book cuz it's all in like it's all in French in French but it's like a very particular di- like Parisian kind of dialect <laughs> right. that other people outside of Paris couldn't really understand. <laughs> so we had to get this film producer to kind of read it to him. And apparently in this book, it's kind of got necrophilia in it. It's got all kinds of weird shit in it. And, and apparently the villains in it, the mobsters, were like um, Arabs yes. and black people yes. from like Africa. And he was like, well, I don't really want to make this film. But then apparently when he had the meeting, he said yes anyway, because he's obviously Definitely desperate for work. worked in five years, yeah. Uh, and then, so he said, but I want to change the... Um, the villains and they were like, oh yes you can make them American because you know you obviously hate Americans American, because yeah. <laughs> of what they've done to you and he was like well have you ever thought about making them French and they were like oh <laughs> no okay then let's do that then but then apparently the writer of the book pulled a gun out on him because he changed his book that much he pulled a gun out on him and he just like uh just laughed at him <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't say Descendants is in, is in the film he plays the, the safe cracker he's my favourite character he wears ballet yeah, shoes yeah. and uh, the only real the real big thing about that that brings up his whole thing is the big kind of villain of the film really is the kind of idea of snitching on each other and the idea of kind of like losing your like uh, like treason basically inside the group so his kind of monologue when he dies skipping forward that monologue is about <laughs> him talking about Hollywood really yeah like that's 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 not in the book that's him doing on the screen and the other thing he brought to the film that's not in the book at all is actually the the safe cracking scene that's not in the book like that they don't describe it for 30 minutes you know like in every single <laughs> bit that's something he decided to put into it to to, to really rise attention um and to show these people as experts you know to show the that that's the thing he brought to the heist movie that these people are skilled gentlemen thieves almost to be respected you know because they're talented you know it's a skilled profession it's something you can't just get anyone to do on the street they're doing it with finesse and it's kind of sexy and kind of clever and stuff that wasn't something we really saw before and it's, it's something in every heist movie since basically like i kind of like as well they're not all french they're like one's swedish yeah, italians one's italian ones uh i don't know yeah it, but yeah they're from all over the place so they kind of got that kind of like you know even like in um oceans 11 you've kind of got yeah. you know, people from other yeah. parts of the world and stuff kind of bringing their talent it in. feels like yeah, i guess it's, it's a good shorthand isn't it for like how um I guess how high up in their profession they are that you have to go kind of far afield to find these people who are talented enough and experienced enough to take on the job. I also um, think but everyone knows just the perfect guy, don't they? Exactly. Just yeah, the perfect yeah. Guy. I also think because they because they move in those circles. That's why you couldn't find a guy in Sweden to do. I can't remember what it is. I could trust <laughs> me. I, I can get you a guy. <laughs> it's also a product of watching fifties movies as well because. Uh, if this film was made earlier I don't think they would have been international but the big thing in the 50s right. coming out of World War 2 is obviously the creation of what becomes the EU so you have like the Treaty EU, of Rome yeah, Treaty yeah. of Versailles in, in the 50s I think 52 and 58 or whatever it is and it's the same thing as like uh, the French film that me and Brandon watched Elevated the Gallows there is a great is there is a 
undercurrent because it's made in this time period of Europe coming together and people coming from different places because the idea of being able to move between countries and work with people in other other places is now a thing when it was it just literally wasn't you know in the same way wow that like, that sounds great doesn't it sound brilliant like <laughs> we should we should do that we should do that now and I think, <sighs> and I think that I, that's what I got I, I think a lot of these films that I'm watching at this time period do have that kind of push of Europe as an idea and push of Europe as there's many people working together is a, is a thing that runs through a lot of these films really even though they're mobsters or whatever but it's still like you know people are still making these films and making decisions about them in the back so I found it I found it interesting actually maybe it might be the case that it was too close after the fact to be comfortable but I actually found the lack of any kind of noticeable reference to World War Two mm. to be interesting especially yeah. like considering the ages of the guys they all would have been in, in the movie <laughs> yeah or maybe even like World War One for oh. for Tony the Stefan T- Tony. Wa, it's like. not Tony it's Tony yeah, Tony. yeah okay <laughs> but Tony. For, for that guy like so yeah I just I found it interesting that there didn't really seem to be any kind of spectre of that like even in the kind of short sort of gunplay scenes or like being stalked with a gunner and there didn't seem to be any of that but you know maybe that wasn't something people really wanted to focus on too much at that time yeah, or i think you, that maybe it was the it. american influence because they were less touched by the movie True. but you think like in the in the middle of france yeah like, i think uh, i haven't seen it yet this is might be my naivete of like french films I, i've said in my uh, the other episode i'm not a great like knowledge of french films but i see a lot of lack of like tackling like Vichy France in French media like and they you know they were occupied they were a fascist government for a number of years you know like that there were people working in France who were you know were fascists who were tra- you can call them traitors it's alright a lower low covered all that so we don't need it <laughs> but it, I think it is weird how well I guess I mean that's not really like yeah. is it more of a plot element in a lot of the stuff they're making which I just thought it would be fertile ground basically yeah it's interesting I mean I guess like the French probably don't have as much opportunity to cast themselves as heroes of World War Two. Like mm. other than there's obviously the French resistance who were amazing sure, yeah. um, and did, did amazing work. But I guess it's like in British war movies, like you don't often see the union of fascists. You don't often see, you know, Mosley and the black shirts marching, <laughs> yeah, sure. you know, like it's just not, not something that it gets brought up. Is it? So uh, I guess it's understandable should. in popular media that, uh, they don't tackle that and maybe it's um, a product of the time we're living in as well that we're looking back to these films in the 50s and thinking well where are the fascists because they're, they're around right now like they're still there and because and we, yeah. we're especially with there. an Italian yeah, in the yeah movie, exactly. like an Italian yeah, yeah, yeah. in France like yeah um, so that's like the fact that that's like like no one has an issue with that in any like in at all I don't know. It just seems weird. Like, and then you watch Faulty Towers, and it's like, don't mention the wars. Like, but then <laughs> but I guess like, that was a bit later. Like, maybe that's not something that would have happened. But and- going back to Desan, like how he didn't want them to be Arabian and black kind of villains, he kind of probably wanted to get rid of any notion of yeah that yeah, just yeah, have yeah, it focus solely on the heist of these pe- of these people. Maybe yeah. I, I mean, I guess yeah, it it's not about them in that such degree is it i mean you have the atmosphere of it all and the kind of the stuff with his girlfriend and stuff like that like um but it's it is about 
it's not, it's not about the. I don't know what point I'm making. <laughs> I've lost my point <laughs> in the middle of my head. <laughs> it's weird, and I think maybe it's like partly us as British people, we we kind of expect that because there is that. There's just that undercurrent constantly in British culture, like yes. everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're yeah. we're basically we're basically Danny from the Karate Kid, but instead of a <laughs> under 18s regional karate tournament, it was World <laughs> War Two. Like we just, you know, we never we never move past that no. as a nation, like that idea of ourselves. Um, whereas maybe like um, European countries were, you know wanted to be much more forward thinking i and, like you know, that as a theory why. i think yeah i like that as a theory that they're looking forward and not wanting to look back they're wanting to push past the specter whereas yeah. we, the way that we treated after the post-war years is we wanted to constantly talk about it and constantly bring it up it needs to be center stage of everything that we do which i, I like that theory that it would be different on the continent because they actually kind of lived it more than yeah. we did which is like still um, to this day like you know yeah, Ramadan yeah. was cancelled, but people were having street parties for VE Day. You know, <laughs> like what? The, what is that about? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 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 whatever. But uh, <laughs> heist, heist movie. Heist movie. Um, well, that that was one thing I did actually think, and maybe this is my own experience watching fifties movies. But I was actually talking about forward thinking. I was surprised with how modern a lot of it felt. Apart, apart from yeah, I mean, you know, everyone looks like they've borrowed their dad's suit for their, <laughs> for their GCSE <laughs> drama production, but you know, I, don't know, I just I, I feel like you who know, would you the, play? As, yeah, Paul, Paul, when you were at Jones. school, who would you have played in this movie? Yeah, Ooh, man. Well, I mean, probably the Stefan Wall. Let's be honest. <laughs> Possibly, I think in in a school play, I would have been the Stefan Moir. In uh, amateur dramatics production, I would have been the um, the young guy with the sun. And yeah, in a and in a guy. in a professional production, I would have been the drug addict guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I'm right. You know I'm right. <laughs> I forgot about the drug addict guy. He, I really like that character. Well, that that was part of it, wasn't it? I mean, in yeah, this yeah. movie, you've got like, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised it was controversial at the time, but you have like, you know, promiscuous sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. You have women in various states of undress. You have lots, lots of various forms of violence, drug taking. I mean, obviously, it's done in a way where none of it actually happens on the screen. Yeah, but and the violence matter. as well is the what, same. What, what was he? A heroin addict? Heroin, yeah. I, d- yeah. I don't know what it's meant to be. Like, he has a small packet, and then he goes off screen for two seconds, and then he's fine don't so they call I, don't it know heroin? Did, I don't know what he did with it i'm sure they actually uh, called it maybe heroin he poured in it in his ear like they call it dope or the subtitles refer yeah. to it as dope so it's probably heroin i guess in the 50s i don't know i just looked at my note and it says he introduced him to the friend mario an italian guy in a giant suit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mario's great isn't he like man the guy the guy who played that guy he really nailed it i think um, yeah, Robert Manuel. Sure, that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. I believe you. <laughs> and uh, actually, um, but, so talking yeah. about how controversial it was when it when when it did eventually play America, because obviously they they wouldn't accept it. He was, you know, Dassin was blacklisted, and blacklisted meant that you couldn't have your name on films and open films with your name on it in America. So when this was, so this film's actually really important in that kind of relationship because it was one of the first films to actually break that blacklist. It opened in America with Jules Sin's name before it. 
And I think it played for 20 weeks at a fine arts theatre first. And the production company released it, refused to cut it. And it didn't go through the MPAA. And obviously at the time as well, with the MPAA, the things that the thing that was going on was uh, the uh, code, the kind of motion picture decency code. And one of the big reviewers of the film that came out, one of the big things I, one of the you know, huge lovers of the film at the time, was like, "Can you imagine what this film would have been if they allowed the you know, the MPAA to get their fingers all over it? Because they, they would have cut it to shreds, as you say, like, and they would have cut out so much about it and so much of the, even the framing of it. Because one thing that was on that code list was you're not allowed to have villains be portrayed in a good light." So even like the, like there was no way this Tony would have survived the, the the MPAA basically because he couldn't be the hero of the film, and so in so many ways this film was is showing you maybe the better films that could have come out in America in the fifties if if American filmmakers were allowed to just work instead of being kind of handcuffed by all this kind of paranoia that was going on at the time. Didn't they have to create like a subsidiary kind of? company to put it out on though i I feel like that yeah and i think it was like released as an english dub and it was called rafifi means trouble yeah yeah yeah, yeah, totally because like it rafifi doesn't really mean anything it's kind of what means rough and tumble yeah roughly yeah yeah um it's a description for like the kind of for gangster characters isn't it it's kind of french slang i think um, yeah. It doesn't really have a direct translation at all, which obviously the marketers. I mean, it has a theme song. <laughs> it does have a theme song. Ooh, <laughs> Is that the scene with like the kind of shadows and silhouettes they're dancing? Yeah, it's great. It's awesome, that is, it? you know, it's kind of like it's like the scene that any film like Roger Rabbit or even The Mask is kind yeah, of like mimicked. That's true. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like in the kind in the club, which if I remember right, the club's named. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. I watched for the, for the listeners. I watched this film a long time ago. <laughs> like, um, um, the name of the club is um, a name of a film by another director, by a French director, and he's honouring him in this film and as a, like an influence oh, okay. to, the, to yes. the noir style. But I can't remember. Yeah, for the for the listeners, Liam actually watched this movie back in the fifties in that small <laughs> art, 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 art cinema in the US. Um, I think though it does like. I think in a way it carries that sensibility of like the bad guys not getting a happy ending almost. Mm. Like I think like thinking about the ending of this movie, it is like, I feel like up until the 1970s, it's what would have happened. And then from the 1980s onwards, I think maybe you would have seen a different, a slightly different ending. In what way? Um, Like, I think that, I think that the character of the dad would have been presented in a slightly more sympathetic way. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think that despite being shot, he would have survived along with yeah, along with the son to to go back as well. I, li- I, I like the that... line his 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 wife says no, like, towards man. the end. What where she goes. Like oh, I can't remember when when she's saying there's all those millions of kids that grew up poor just like you yeah 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 and you turned out like this it's because tough guy yeah but you're the weak one or something yeah yeah. is it loads of kids grow up poor why did you become a hood a criminal that that one yeah yeah it's like why yeah why did basically she just says you're the weak one because you became Mm. a hood and a criminal which is so like brutal because like what does he do (laughs) you know like what. 
like okay like he's you know he's robbing diamonds or whatever but like, who cares like i mean it's not like he actually seemed to love to his be... child which is a change for a film like well, that like, yeah. he actually seemed to i mean he's shown is shown to be like a good dad they seem to live in a nice place yeah like we don't see him beat his wife up which we can't say for every character no. in, well, in this movie yeah, yeah. tony like like yeah, I mean, his his kind of like he didn't. Well, uh, you know, he he he's like loyal to his friend who like didn't rat him out, and he yeah. helps him. You know, he helps his friend with money when he's in a tough spot. He cares about his like health and stuff. When they come up, you know, they come up with a very simple plan to basically like go in through a window and nick a couple of things. Yeah, like, Mario's so just like, like just, can we just smash this window and grab some stuff? That's basically yeah. His it's plan. like, is yeah. that even bad? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Well, that's I just find that like... true. Like the real villains of this is like Grutter and the, that kind of mob. Really, is the, they're actual Absolutely, kind of yeah, like yeah. gangsters and they're real villains. Robbing like the. I don't know Parisian version of Tiffany's basically like it's fine who cares it's insurance who gives a shit like like it doesn't really matter you're kind of on their side really it's like fine yeah. they're making themselves rich this, this whole story reminded me what was that recent jewellery robbing or whatever was it the Hatton Garden yeah the Hatton Garden robbery with the old the, men yeah yeah, it very much reminded me of that, to be honest. But um, well, maybe they they, they, they probably seen it. this film. <laughs> they probably did back in the fifties. That's what. What else does he do? Well, when he goes to the club and there's that other woman who's like chatting to him and stuff, and then he's like perfectly courteous but not overly flirty, and then tells her to go talk to someone her own age and leaves. You know, like there's the implication there that he's also like faithful to his wife. Like I don't understand why she suddenly like turns on him and. I think she's just. It's like, probably because he's her son's been taken, and he's kind of like he's holding on to the money. Yeah, and pretty much saying like he keeps deferring the phone. Well, keeps like putting back the phone, like saying like, "Oh, he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. He hasn't come with the money yet. He hasn't come with the money yet." But he has. The woman's suffering say, this thing called know. hysteria. Where and what it is? <laughs> it's yeah. when the room yeah, moves around yeah. the body. I the didn't room. know if she was suffering from like Padme thing, where she looked like she was dying. No, the the other she woman, the other woman, like, heart. the other woman, like injected her with something, didn't she? While smoking a big cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. massive cigarettes in this movie. Massive galwas, um. hanging galwas. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that like, I think if if this if this film was made in modern times, I don't like if you look at something like. Goodfellas. I mean, I guess that's that's based on a true story. I want to say, or based on a guy's yeah, memoir. Sure. So, yeah, of course, the guy lives to the end. <laughs> yeah. But like at, at the same time, it's like, or even like in in something like The Departed, how like Mark Wahlberg's alive at the end. You know what I mean? There's always like, you know, I always like one that... of the characters is kind of like still around. To I think the heist is based on a real heist that happened in the like late like 1800s yeah. in Paris. Right. I think. Something like that. Yeah, and they were going to remake this, and they were going to get Al Pacino as uh, the lead. As uh, what in in the eighties? No, in the nineties. No, in the two thousand. I think two thousand five. They bought the rights to the scripts. That is a bad idea. That is a legitimately bad idea. (laughs) But would they? Would they have done the thirty minutes of no dialogue in the middle? Would they? Would they have been? Would they have been brave enough? Would they have been brave enough to do 
all that time with no talking. It's I love it. Thirty three minutes. There's barely the, the the soundtrack itself goes to a whisper. Like the yeah, they, it's just hand movements. It's just them looking at each other. Like the tingle of the piano is like deafening. You know, like um, yeah, and yeah. every like show. My favorite bit. I was like, oh, how are they going to stop the rubble from hitting? Yeah, the, the umbrella. And then they all pull out the umbrella, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how you do it. It's so good. I love that thing when they break into those old people's apartments and they just like blindfold them. Chloroform them. <laughs> I did I did laugh out loud when because the guy comes out and they like chloroform him and grab him. Yeah. And then the woman appears <laughs> and they do exactly the same thing to her. No, they knock like, again, I did, don't they? <laughs> I did giggle a bit at that, I, I have to admit. Um But I, I like I also think with that the silent section, they did such a great job of setting up what needed to be set up to justify the actions and to explain the actions, but they didn't go through too much that you were always like totally sure what was going to happen at any given moment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, I so like you were, and I, and I think that balance was like totally necessary to properly build the tension during that sequence. Because there was all there was enough expectation, but there was also enough in uncertainty at the same time, you know. It, and it's not just a like, will they be able to do it or not, or like, you know, what's going to go wrong. There was also this like added element of like, we don't know what the full plan is. So there's mm-hmm. they do these things, and we're like, oh, why are they doing that? Oh, that makes sense. And then you know, it just gives them opportunities to like maintain your interest like throughout it yeah. with just these switching between the different things i just thought that was really 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 well done i i loved how i loved watching them solve those problems that was just really fun to me like solving the, like the scene when they're solving the problem with the alarm and they keep trying different things and getting annoyed the alarm keeps going off until they yeah, you know they, yeah. they they're shaking it they're trying to do other things that and the alarm's not even like fancy i'm sure it's fancy for the 50s technology but it's basically like just a bell in a box like yeah um, but like it's still got enough of a problem for them that they have to kind of solve it and you know with the fire extinguisher at the end and i love that i knew that was a problem and that would be the main 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 issue that they'd come against but then when you watch the as you say when you watch the actual kind of heist there's so many other problems which didn't even occur to me while watching it yeah, like because yeah. they didn't show me it i didn't occur that it would be a problem but these characters have thought about it they knew that this would be a problem and it was just so satisfying and i didn't know if they would get away with it i mean i kind of knew you know like but i didn't whilst watching it i didn't really know that they were going to be successful i didn't know if a cop was going to walk in at the last second i didn't know if they'd get away with all the money or not or they would have got caught a little bit well or one i knew of them the moment that like, so. just the moment Desan grabbed that extra like yes. ring from the yes. box, I yeah, knew that was going to be yeah. the downfall in some way or yeah, other. Because yeah, like, yeah. he just went that, you know, and I knew that was it. That's the moment, isn't it? Because it's the deviation from the plan. From the plan, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's when that's when you know that that's what's gonna that's what's gonna mess them up. That- it was interesting. I mean, it's in a very kind of meta way, like because the heist happens quite early, you sort of know that something's gonna go wrong. You know, you're not just gonna watch them. I don't know, like sitting on a beach for half an hour or whatever. Like that last scene of Trading Places, but just for half an hour, like all of them just sunbathing. Um, but I, I didn't like, I didn't really know what to expect. Like, I guess like I expected um, the Stefanoise girlfriend to 
be a bit more involved or you know like maybe the other gangsters maybe i don't know maybe that's just with hindsight but at the time i wasn't sure what to expect and i actually think the the angle with the kidnapping like just makes total sense as well for many layered reasons i I agree and like one of one of the only one of the only good things that we see tony do is his interaction with the kid yes well don't forget it's his godson so he's he's got that vested interest in him as well hasn't he so yeah i guess but like you look like what other things do we we see him we see him beat up a woman (laughs) you know we see him him be incredibly rude to some random guy (laughs) you know we see him losing at cards and asking his mate to give him more money but he obviously has he has some honor within his own that's all he has he went to jail because of his honor he went to jail protecting joe i think that's the that was the implication and that's all he really has but they make it really clear early on that joe and tony are like family men and care about family and care about the kids they really do place that early on so you know that these guys are are scumbags but actually they they do have their own set of honor and set of rules and it's about you know them as a team as a cohesive as a social unit. <laughs> yeah, because the other guy doesn't rat them out, does he? What's his name? Uh, Mario. Mario, he doesn't no. rat them out. He doesn't say it. It's just... No, it's just, no. it's um, just the guy that went it's, out it's his his own and stole money from himself. Because of, this, because of this condition called hysteria. <laughs> that set, though, where he's tied up in it, I love yeah. it, like the basement of the club. Yeah, yeah, same. Like, apparently every location in this film is like a, it's like an existing location. Oh, really? There's no sets or anything, yeah. And so, yeah, may as well point out that Philippe Agostini, he's the cinematographer, and I think he looks fantastic. Oh, it does, like, yeah. Apparently, like... He was he got so annoyed with DeSanno because if it was a nice day that you know, nice sunny day or whatever to film in, he'd be like, No, I don't want to film because all I want it to be is grey. Yeah. I just want yeah. shades of grey. That's all I want it to be. <laughs> That's cool. Which is to the film's benefit, really. Yeah. It kind of adds to the you know, the mood and the tone of the piece. And like and I love and then, how they do all have these like really like distinct characters the four of them like Caesar Desen is such like a cad he's so egotistical and like you kind of love him he's like got so much personality and you want to be in that club with him when he's just like bigger than life and Mario's such like a yeah he's the showman the lady yeah and Mario's such like like, a playboy Mario's like the one you could imagine with a big pole of pasta yeah 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 he's a really happy guy and like and Joe's such like the muscle you know like he's a big imposing figure and Tony's like that like unforgiving mastermind, like like, like at the centre of it all, controlling them, and and he's the one who didn't want to do it originally, and then somehow he becomes the lead of it. Like he's, he's the, the one they had kind of had to talk into. They it. drag you back in, <laughs> and yeah. they, they. I love all those little scenes when you're seeing them like prepare for all this and and testing, and you know the the kind of I get so one of my endearing memories of it is the soundscape of the film like that ding 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 like crack 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 of like a chisel and then the the vibrating yeah. of the the uh uh vibrating of like the alarm that vrr, the alarm and stuff like that when they're testing it and then later on when that's all you're hearing is that ding 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 and the, the and ding 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 really like gently to try and not set it off i just that that all that is really like fixed in my memory and stuff like that even stuff like mario i know that mario's the big kind of lovable guy and later on when they chloroform the the old couple he puts a pillow behind the old lady's heads and kind of without yeah, saying anything yeah. does a little shrug like ah, it doesn't hurt to be nice like they're not gonna harm yeah. them it doesn't hurt like i love all those little like touches about stuff that brought so much personality to these characters that felt really connected to them while whilst watching 
basically just a high scene, really. Like, yeah, it's it's funny thinking about like uh, soundscape as well because I know when I was watching it, I was thinking like if you made something like this in modern day, like first of all, there'd be CCTV. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, some yeah. that's something that that they'd have to deal with in some way. Like, and you like I don't know, like they put like a looping video or whatever, sure. or they like they hack, hack into, into it. The, yeah. They'd like hack into the Wi-Fi and yeah. do it. And also, like, um, there'd definitely be some scene where they had like a mobile phone and a hologram would come out of it, and the hologram <laughs> would solve a, like a combination on on something, and all these things that are just like so digital and ephemeral. And yeah, it's impressive in a kind of semi like soft sci-fi kind of way, but it's not. A guy with a chisel and a sock over a hammer. Yes, sweating yes. So his sweating his bollocks yeah, yeah, yeah. off because he can't hit the ground too hard with it. Yes, like, and it's it. it's a shame, isn't it? It's like I think like how mobile phones like kind of kill a lot of suspension of disbelief for for horror movies now. I think it's the same with like heist movies with all this yeah. like all this technology and the digital aspect of everything. It does take away. A few elements, I think. It's, it's like the, the same scene way, in like, one of the Oceans movies where the guy is doing capoeira through like a laser grid, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, "What? <laughs> like, it's not, am I like, is that hard? Is that difficult for him to do? Like, it's not tangible I enough. I have no frame it, of it's just not tangible enough in like a, in a kind of watching exactly. them physically break into a place, and and it's when it just becomes digitally breaking into places, and as you say, using stupid technology that I don't know what it is like it doesn't yeah it just don't connect it to it as much the mission impossible scene's still good though i think when he's ascending from the yeah, ceiling that's not yeah that's a different thing though that's like they're basically but i think still i think that's different it's still like a plan yeah, they're, they're like breaking in and they're kind of, i think the <laughs> the the mission impossible thing i think is actually what i'm talking about because the thing that makes that scene good is when the rope fails and he goes towards the floor and he yeah, has to they... hold himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because no, you what's can... His, isn't Ving Rhames, like, pulling him up? Well, no, it's not Ving Rhames, isn't it? It's, uh, it's probably... Jean Reno. Okay, but, like, there's that moment... There's the moment of, like, seeing this cool, like, tech thing. But it's just ropes, you know? It's ropes <laughs> and a harness. And he's being lowered down. And for a second, you have a second, to, like, to register. That looks a bit silly. Before you're... At, you know what I mean? It happens, like... It happens quickly enough that you're kind of impressed that they have it. And then there's the moment of heightened tension where he's an inch away from the floor and he has to hold his body up. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, like, you can imagine being suspended like yeah. that and having to just try and hold your body in that position. Mm. And you can imagine, like, on a physical level, like, you understand, like, how difficult that would be to do. Whereas, you know, doing capoeira through a laser grid is kind of, I don't know... Jean <laughs> Reno would have made a good uh, Tony, maybe, maybe a bit on the nose, but he would have been a good choice for a, for the remake. We're not remaking this. It's a or Tom so. Cruise. <laughs> but it's the same thing when you were talking about that. Like, there's a bit where the Paris is waking up. You know, the sun's coming up and stuff like that, and and mm, yeah, Caesar's yeah. still working. The florist away. with the big boobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Caesar's still working away and Tony who we just think is like this cool like ma- master like uh, who's got everything timed to a T there's not going to be any problems he's now losing it he's getting stressing he's walking about the place he's kind of poking Caesar he's like come on this must be done by now and Caesar's got yeah. no time for him Caesar knows exactly how long it's going to take him he knows he's on track he knows it's fine like and he knows he's going to break through and it, I just found it so like like satisfying to watch but but because i thought tony was going to be like the cool one 
because he's losing it as an audience i'm losing it a little bit i'm like shit can we get get it done everyone's waking up look there's the florist <laughs> like you know yeah the, there's there's the policeman the, putting the stickers on the thing yeah yeah noticing yeah, that car hasn't that moved and thinking i'm what? surprised the, the police didn't go for him straight away seeing as he just come out of prison for a jewel heist you'd have thought he'd have been like numero uno on there like just ra- just tourist. rounded up would they have had an opportunity? Like, how much time passes after? I don't know. But yeah, you, you're right. Like they would have absolutely. I don't know. I think watching old crime movies, you makes you realise how easy crime was before databases. Like so, <laughs> <laughs> pulling out the notebook with yeah. all of the well, <laughs> registration plates written down. It's like the- yeah. on Netflix. I've been watching the Ripper documentary series about you know the Yorkshire okay. Ripper, mm. and seeing how they catalogued all the information is insane apparently filled up like a football pitch's <laughs> worth of length in just notes of pe- of like people who it could have been and yeah. like apparently the system was that insane that it was just impossible but to that's, even that's the problem though isn't it because it's, it's like, like da- data is useless if you have no like way of, reasonable yeah. way of accessing what yeah, exactly. you need like, and that's why it's stuff where, like you know FBI profiling came in and stuff like that because they had to try and cut down those numbers that person you know his, his mm. eyes are slightly weird and he's got a big head so that he's more likely to be a criminal or stuff like that. Like it's all because Fox yeah. Mulder. It's yeah, he, all because yeah. of that. He like because the they had two men just on. looking at everyone in the world and going, "Well, I don't know who mm. it is." Like the whole of Paris. Yeah, could this have this guy. This guy's got a load of Confederate flags and a gun collection. He's <laughs> probably fine. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy. He. I he did like the fact that there's no music during the heist. Like I thought yeah. that was ace. Yeah, yeah. Like apparently the the. Uh, the composer actually like wrote a piece of music for that high sequence, but um, Dasan didn't want anything, and he just did it as a safety net, just in case he wanted oh, it. Right. And then they screened both back to back. And um, George, is it George S. Arik? I can't pronounce his name. Arik. He just basically said, "No, you're right. No music on it this works scene. so well. No music." And like, and then after that, it's because it then has to wrap, ramp, like, ramp the story up again. You've got this big tension. They've won, and then it's just like, what the fuck do they do with it? Like, and that's obviously when they bring in, you know, Gutter, and they bring in like uh, the, the rest of the plots. And I just, mm. I didn't know it was going to go there. You know, I didn't know it was going to be one, yeah, be yeah. that film. And I knew it was a heist film, but I didn't know it was then going to go into this section of it. And I, the kind of, you know, the downfall of all of them. Because, am I right? All of them die. By the end of the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I, and I, that's like kind of fascinating. I did, I just didn't know that was you know as I said I didn't know that was going to happen, and it was so much fun watching that. Frankly, like yeah, and like so, yeah, how I mean, how it all how and why it all happens, and you know how it how it falls apart for them, and quite is, violently know. as well. Really, when you kind of bring in like the real criminal Greta or whatever, you know he's he's unforgiving. You know when they. I think when they kill Mario, there's, there's, it's like, and they torture kind of um, uh, Caesar and stuff like that. It's proper like hard. Yeah, because Caesar, Caesar gives the ring to the um, to the singer dancer that he kind of is fancying. Yes, yeah, in the, that's right. In the mm-hmm. nightclub, and she thinks it's a fake. She shows it to, uh, well, no, she's not. She doesn't show it to, um, to the. Yeah, the guy is, is is the guy whose job it is to keep track of all of her rings. Uh, he notices that she's got a new ring. <laughs> yeah. I assume that's his that's job. His job. He, work, he, he works. He works two two together yeah, and yeah. finds the... out. Who, you know, figures out it's Tony and all that lot. Yeah, um, and then they kidnap uh, Joe's kid, and then yeah, <laughs> I love that location though with the the uh, the mansion that's kind of like oh the half built place. 
film. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look half built. It looks half, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Like Derelict? It doesn't look built. Derelict, yeah, the mm. opposite. Like it's just been left or it's rotted away. I've got some notes in but my... It's just a my... series of staircases and walls and that's it. And it's like... Yeah, looks like a little bit of a maze in there, and like with some half-finished rooms where they've kind of locked the kid up yeah. in, and he's like, with the he's playing in the sink or something. It is funny, isn't it? That the whole film, like, I think, I think it's a continuation of what we were talking about, like the elements of it that are satisfying, is because it's such like a physical film. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe maybe that's just a product of the time, but it's like if they want to find out where something is, they have to like come up with a plan to like trick a guy to go to the place. And then they have to follow the guy, and then they want to keep in contact. But to keep in contact, they have to like find a phone yes. to call. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And if they want, you know, He's... if they want to, like, if they want to pay for something, they have to have the money on them. Yes. Like they have to have <laughs> that, cash. That money. Do you know the money in the box in the in the um the briefcase? It's that massive. I didn't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's like an A4 piece of paper for one note. <laughs> That's old timey, baby. Old timey money. I like. Yeah. I've got some notes here that really crack me up. <laughs> I, can, I don't want to know what they mean more than anything else. I've got like a, a Mario and Caesar have a dance and a sing, and Mario Mario is totally just like me and Ida can now fuck in every town and the most expensive hotels around. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah. And uh, I love how and the go. I've got here the amazing London fence turns up with the cash, and he loves the clown balloon. Don't know what that means. Yeah, the fucking Groucho Marx ass guy with the glasses with the one with the one dark lens. And it's like, oh yeah, who's this guy. Oh yeah, I forgot about this guy. <laughs> like, but yeah, and that that's just like, I don't know if it's if it's funny, but it's just a really like, it's a really interesting scene how he obviously like comes in all happy and like expecting them to be happy, yes. but they've just found out that like the kid's been taken, and it's just like. Yeah, it's just it's just a really interesting like scene. I love that where, though on the bus yeah. though, like when when the kid gets kidnapped with the mom, and yeah. then um, the people on the bus are watching, oh, yeah. and instead of like being concerned that someone's been thrown into the back of a car, they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, see, look what happens if you let go of your balloon." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there is definitely like a little bit of a sense of humor going throughout this film as well. I think. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I've got one of my notes here that I couldn't remember what it was about. It just says, I don't understand how phones work. But I just, <laughs> just realised, because there's one well, where I think, it, I think it's when point, Mario originally a, phones... He goes to a telephone exchange thing and then he's phoning London to phone Mario, or, to phone Joe or something like that, or I don't know. Yeah, but then there's another moment where like Mario picks up the phone and is like, how long to connect to... Italy or London or something. Yes, and then he puts the phone down, and then, and then he gets called yeah, back. Yeah, considering and like, he's like, "I'll like, phone, what? I'll phone every twenty minutes." Like that's a lot of work. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that's a lot. And like, uh, so at the end, you know, Tony goes and saves the kid, and they have this big fight in the cool little derelict place. And he's no fist fights though. Apparently, he uh, Desan wanted no fist fights in the film, yeah. and apparently, one of the actors was famous for doing fist fights. Mm. And the producers were like, "When is there going to be a fist fight?" And he's like, "Tomorrow." We're going to do fist fight tomorrow. Hmm. And just never shot one. It's because the image of like a, a, a big old studio exec with a cigar going, "Come on, where's the fist fight? This man, like, <laughs> this man is going to. He's famous for it. We need it on the poster." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so he picks up the kid and and Tony's been shot and he's dying and he's losing a hell of a lot of blood. 
he does one of the most impressive feats of driving I've ever seen while in that situation. By no, he drives like every person in Paris. That's though, what, like he navigates that huge roundabout in the Arc de Triomphe without losing consciousness. But, <laughs> like I can't do that. Like now, but like, <laughs> like earlier on in the film, they drive off by the cafe and he like almost runs over a guy on a moped. <laughs> Like, they don't give a shit over there. And, like, what I liked as well is, like, clearly seatbelts weren't a big feature of cars. Because, they're, yeah, like, kids, like, kids all over the everywhere. shop. Yeah, yeah, pointing his gun at him. Standing up on the seat. And like, I was no so nervous for the kid. I was just like, I don't want the kid to die in this car accident. I do not want the kid to die in this car accident. It's making me very, very uneasy. Please, please put a seatbelt in. Yeah. Like, But yeah, he he manages to just die just as he gets to the uh, to the the apartment of Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he gets back to Joe. He just he and, crashes. And the child is reunited, reunited with the mother. It's the, uh, the end. Yeah, it's, it is totally the most Finn. just Finn yeah, moment of any yeah. film ever. Like it just just dumb Finn, Finn. finished. Like uh, no messing. Yeah, they pick up the box of you know the suitcase. Yeah, of money so basically, it. the last thing that happens is the police officer opening the suitcase full of money, isn't it? Like after that, it just kind yeah. of pans and. Him, that's it. Uh, apparently, Desan was like hired because he was pretty much convenient for the um, producers because obviously he hadn't been in work and he was cheap. And then when they were at some of one of the festivals, he said it was maybe in Cannes that um, the producer was living up on like in a casino, like spending all his money. So Desan said, like, can I at least get a little bit of money? Because I think he got paid eight thousand pounds or dollars or whatever to do the film, which is not a lot really, even back then. Say, yeah, to helm a feature film. And he said, uh, "Can I at least get a bit of money so I can play some um, some of the casino games or poker or whatever?" And um, and uh, he gave him a bit of money, and he said, "Oh, what what day did we start the film?" And he goes, "Oh, on the 18th." And he goes, "Okay, then I'll put on my money on 18." I don't think it's you know what's the yeah. spinning roulette, you know? What's roulette. The... <laughs> and then apparently he landed on 18, and he lived off that money for <laughs> quite a while. Then after that, no way. <laughs> oh, fair play. I mean. I think we allude to it, but when this was a huge film, when it opened in America, it was massive, and it still is massive. Like, and we, you know, and it it broke the kind of it started breaking that kind of house of an American activities thing. It was one of the first things that broke the blacklist that made it so people could hire people that were on the blacklist. Um, it, we can't go massively into all that history because it would take forever, but it does because of that. This film not only I think really stands up, but has like a big place in when you talk about American films, and. It's not an, technically an American film, but I think it is like it, it, it's it's it exists because of American filmmaking and because of Dassin. Considering the other films that are around in France at the time, it, it definitely has more of an American vibe to mm, it. I think. I think so. Like a, that more sensibility to it. Even though, but still, also has its foot in the kind of French side of it as it well. So it's kind of a nice, French noir, it's a but, nice yeah. like, and the lighting and just set. And if you watch like. Like even I was reminded of this when we were watching Elevated to the Gallows as well because the mm. kind of concentration on the way the cops move through the streets in Paris and, and checking up at night. What are they putting yeah. on the... What are they writing down? They're writing something to put on, th- the, on the shutters. I'm guessing it's the time. They, I'm guessing that they've, they've checked. checked that it's not been broken into. I can't believe that's how they policed stuff, but it must be. You know, like... That they just simply just walked around and noted the time that they checked that it was still locked and not been broken into and stuff. And and then that that notebook they had was that just the license plates of dodgy folks or something? I, I think they know. were just 
I think they would note down the license plates were on the street, and if there were cars that are not normally there, that was suspicious to them. Right, okay. And especially if they hadn't moved, I'm guessing. Like, it just it seems so folksy, and I'm like, this is Paris. This isn't like a village of like five people. <laughs> but I, that's all I could make out because I, clearly it wasn't it wasn't that obsessed over in the film. So clearly it was probably quite normal police work, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess, like in the absence of really like any kind of modern d- technology, like as far as like forensics and stuff goes, it's like, what do the police even do, like other than wander around yeah. and just be like a theoretical deterrent for anyone? Yeah. You know? yes. <laughs> well, to be honest, the only, yeah, the only time you kind of have any time with a, a police officer or a detective is at the funeral. When you see that one detective talking for a little bit, seeing saying that they've all avoided the funeral pretty much because I thought you meant just like in yeah. in general in life. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. like because I mean that, no, that's also of, a point. It's like for most people because I think if they were to make this film now, you'd have that kind of Denzel Washington character in um, Inside Man kind of character mm. or something. You'd have that kind of or you know yeah. But I, I can't know. imagine them making but a know, film like, without having a great nowadays without having a greater connection to the police yeah. like in some way yeah like that's so like intrinsic to the way that we make crime films now that it's all about one of them used to be a cop or is still a cop or, or you know friends with the cops or whatever like it's such a part of the way we think of crime working in now. my house we call it think- copaganda um <laughs> i thought i mean the point i thought you were going to make jones is that actually in in people's day-to-day lives Usually, for most people, any interaction you have with the police occurs shortly after something bad has happened, not not while it's happening yeah. or before it's or yeah, frankly yeah. in any useful capacity, you know. And so I think it's you know it's it's probably just like the function of police in a I guess it's a high end neighborhood if it's got this like really fancy jewelry store there. You know, mm. the function of the police there yeah. is essentially to protect the private property of rich people. And, you know, they need to be seen to it's be It's crazy doing that it. the jewellery store actually let them film in there, film a high scene in there, because, like, I've tried to film in jewellery stores doing bank robbery stuff, and they're like, no, <laughs> fuck no, go away. I mean, yeah, I can, I can understand but that. But no, I, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely loved this film. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I did. I really loved it. It's it's a five star picture for me. <laughs> it's a five star picture <laughs> with an old timey big cigar. <laughs> I mean, this this was that was a question. No, it's not a cigar. It's it's a it's a oh, thin yeah, cigarette. That's what I'm smoking now. Totally. With, a, with a thin mustache. With a fresh uh, with a fresh champagne in a oh, bucket. Damn. Even though I had a half filled one already, <laughs> they they just replaced it with a full one. Because you're so fancy. I mean, that was that was going to be my yeah. question to you guys. It's like. Is this a film like you would just straight up recommend to someone? Like, would you just say to someone, "Oh yeah, you should yes. totally watch Rafifi"? That's a, that's an emphatic yes from Joan. I'd... <laughs> yeah, I would couch it. I'm always worried about the baggage people bring to films, um, which I guess was kind of my question earlier on. And so, if I'm t- telling someone watch this '50s film that's black and white that's in French. I think they're going to think a certain... They're going to bring something to that and what they think the film's going to be. So I'd... Okay, don't tell them it's set in the 50s (laughs) or it's filmed in the 50s and don't tell them it's French. Well, I think the name doesn't help as well because the name just means nothing. It's just a a French slang word, you know? Mm. 
so like i like i i definitely would absolutely tell people to watch this film i think it absolutely holds up and i think it's it's really fun to watch as well like really engaging but i definitely would tell people that i wouldn't just be like watch this film with no information (laughs) i would i'd probably just i'd try and knock down those little bits of kind of you know baggage that people have about watching black and white french films basically (laughs) like did you did you know in the uk when it came out it was paired with the quater mass experiment as a double bill like what a why would you pair it with the weird science fiction films? It's so bizarre. I wonder if that was to just try and get people in to watch it. Because Creator Mass was huge, wasn't so. it? Creator Mass was a massive film. Yeah. That's really weird. I'd say that and it's left is like Paul, like um and what was your like final thoughts or review or anything like that? Would you tell people to watch this or you know? Um, I I really enjoyed it. I'm really I'm really glad that you asked me to watch it. I was expecting it to be good going in because, like, as I said, you know, you wouldn't have asked me to, <laughs> to watch it if it wasn't. So, like, I think it's still, um, I think it's still totally effective in what it's trying to do. Um, obviously, there's elements of it that are dated, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, would I would I just say to someone like, you should watch this film? <laughs> Just, just anyone on the street. Hey, you. I don't know. You maybe, like, maybe if someone it. was like, maybe if someone said that they were into heist movies or they were into like gangster movies or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But then, but then you know, it's hard not to come across as a pretentious asshole of being like, oh, yes, you're into. <laughs> oh, you're into. Have you seen this 1950s French? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, but in in like the best possible way, just to, no. But you I'd could probably... word it in like if you want to see where like one of the places it all started off from this kind of exactly style. yeah. It's just... Like you know, check out Rafifi. It's like it's kind of got all these kind of yeah, shit yeah. going but on. Definitely, I mean, just kind of like in a vacuum, maybe, maybe not. Depending on people's taste, absolutely. But then you know, I think you should make Ada go and watch it right now. I think I think that's how you should. Uh... Think? Uh, do you think she'd like it? I think so. <laughs> She'll like the balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The balloon scene. That would it's be got a funny accent. I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the moment, she's really into this show called Tic Tac, which is like the most art house thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like just like noises and shapes, and then sometimes there's like a picture of like a bicycle, and then there's a jigsaw puzzle of a lion. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. I heard that got nominated could, for Golden like, Globe yesterday, a... actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm watching it like, now this is art house cinema. <laughs> well, thank you so um, much for coming on and watching this with us then. I'm really, I'm really happy you liked it. Cause it's like, um, because uh, I, I, I loved it. I'd never, it's, it's funny saying to people, watch this film that I haven't seen yet. Like, but, um, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm really glad you liked it. And thank you for coming on and talking to us about it. Yeah. Thank you very much. No so worries. What's, what's next week then, Liam? I don't know what next week is. I do, isn't it? The Searchers. Are we going back to America and we're looking at John? Yeah, Ford we're at John Wayne and Mr. John Wayne as well. This is definitely going to be the only John Wayne film we ever we ever cover. And talking <laughs> about a man who definitely wasn't the house of un-American activities. We're going straight from oh, that to the yeah. all-American, the most American Republican man that's ever lived. So yeah, uh, yeah. Next week's going to be John Ford's The Searchers. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to try and wrap it up. I haven't done this in a while, so I'll probably completely fumble it. So, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on whatever you listen to us on, whether that's like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon. Is it Amazon Podcasts? What the fuck is it? I don't know. 
<laughs> yes, sure. I don't know. YouTube. But, like, the one thing I was going to ask, though, people, please give us a comment or, like, you know, even a written review. We have got one written review. I'm going to say this. If anyone writes a review, we will. I'm going to read it out. So we have one review on iTunes, and it's a five-star review. And it's. I love how these guys are watching movies that people often don't talk about, but they should. They are funny and easy to listen to. And that's from Liam. <laughs> I, so I agree please with it still. make us not look sad and give us a review that's by someone who else, other than who actually hosts this podcast. I liked it. Five stars. <laughs> now, if you are going to if you are going to leave a review and you do want to mention the fact that these guys are talking about movies that don't get talked about enough. Yeah. You should you should demand that this podcast covers the most criminally underappreciated cinematic oh, here we masterpiece go. Go on, in then. history that is twins there it is. starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, which I can mathematically, empirically prove. Okay, if you want us to do made. twins, and I promise you we will, if people reach out to us on Twitter, and that is at Adjust Your Tracking. That's a good just your track (laughs) with a YR, not a your. And yeah, if if people reach out to us and say, talk about twins, I 100% promise you we'll talk about twins with Paul. That's a promise. I'll do do twins cast. (laughs) On that note, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking.